Well, we are beginning a new series today through the letter of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are what are known in the New Testament as the pastoral epistles or pastoral letters. Uh, So these were letters written by Paul to Timothy and Titus. Now, they're called the pastoral epistles. Timothy and Titus were not technically pastors. They were sort of like deputy apostles. Uh, They were were go-betweens between the apostle Paul and uh, various local churches that had their own pastors and deacons. Uh, But even though Timothy and Titus weren't pastors, they were involved in the shepherding and oversight of local churches. Titus was assigned to the churches of Crete. Timothy was assigned to the church in Ephesus. And both of these men provided leadership and teaching under Paul's authority as an apostle. Uh, And and Timothy and Titus were even responsible for appointing pastors within these local churches. And and in these pastoral epistles, Paul wrote to both of these men to give them instructions and encouragement as they carried out their ministry. Paul wrote this first letter to Timothy because he was concerned about doctrine and devotion in the local church and for the individual Christian. And that really sums up the message of 1 Timothy. Doctrine and devotion for the church and the Christian. Paul wrote about doctrine because he wanted Timothy to rebuke those who taught false doctrine, and he wanted him to fight for sound doctrine. Uh, But he was also concerned for how people would live out that doctrine practically in lives of devotion to Christ. And Paul wrote primarily about how doctrine and devotion are lived within the local church, uh, the household of God, as he calls it in 1 Timothy. But he also wrote about how doctrine and devotion are lived out within lives of individual Christians. So again, doctrine and devotion for the church and for the Christian. And and all of that starts by upholding the truth. I've titled this sermon, and uh, it's the tagline for this series, Upholding the Truth. We'll see that Paul, in 1 Timothy 3.15, calls the church a pillar and buttress or foundation of the truth. The church is called to hold up the truth of God. If we are to live lives of devotion as individuals, and if we are to be devoted to Christ as a church, we must begin with a foundation of truth. Nothing else can fall into place until that first domino of right doctrine falls. We have to have a foundation of what is true about this God we worship. We have to have a foundation about what is true about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not only do we need to know the difference between truth and error, we also need to know the difference between what matters and what doesn't matter. Only when we get the truth right can then we live with the kind of devotion that Christ is worthy of both as a church and as individual Christians. 
So today I'm going to give an overview of 1 Timothy. Starting next week, we'll go verse by verse uh, through the text of 1 Timothy. Um, But today we're going to be really all over. We're going to be looking at verses all over 1 Timothy, so be ready to flip some pages. Um, But uh, we're going to consider this idea of doctrine and devotion for the church and the Christian. That's our roadmap for this morning. For this morning, doctrine, devotion, church, Christian. And as we look at this letter, 1 Timothy, from a 30,000 foot perspective, my primary burden this morning is that you would see the importance of studying this book. Uh, My prayer is that even this brief overview today would motivate us as a church, uh, or motivate us to, to be a church and to be individuals who desire to uphold the truth and to live lives of devotion to Christ as a result. So first, let's talk about doctrine. Doctrine, or teaching. Paul's foundational concern in this letter to Timothy is doctrine. He wants Timothy to combat false doctrine, and he wants Timothy to promote sound doctrine. Paul begins his letter urging Timothy to fight against false doctrine. So look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Paul stationed Timothy in Ephesus specifically to deal with certain people who were teaching false doctrine. These false teachers had set aside the teaching that comes from God and were instead occupying themselves with different doctrine. And Paul wanted Timothy to correct these false teachers. But Paul wasn't just concerned about those false teachers. He was also concerned about Timothy. He he warned Timothy that he himself needed to guard against getting sucked into false doctrine. Flip over to 1 Timothy 4, 7. Paul tells Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Timothy needed to be reminded not to get dragged into the mud of doctrinal distractions. He needed to keep his focus on his mission and on sound doctrine. Uh, Paul wanted Timothy to promote sound doctrine. Uh, Look at 1 Timothy 4.13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Timothy was to devote himself to the teaching of Scripture, to the teaching that was from God. He was to give instruction and to urge the people in his care to live by sound doctrine. In uh, 1 Timothy 6.3, we see what kind of doctrine that Timothy was to promote. It is that which agrees with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Sound doctrine is Christian doctrine, doctrine that agrees with the teaching of 
Jesus. Christianity is not a man-made religion. Christianity is not a church-made religion. Christians are disciples, followers of Jesus. We are to follow Jesus as our master teacher. And so sound doctrine is that which agrees with the teachings of Jesus. We see in this verse also, sound doctrine is that which accords with godliness. Right doctrine is that which produces right living. Lives of devotion to the Lord Jesus. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. Uh, But Timothy was to defend this truth, defend sound doctrine militantly. Look at the very end of 1 Timothy, in, in 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21. Notice how Paul ends this letter. He says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Paul envisioned that the body of Christian teaching as property that Timothy was given to steward. Paul charged him to protect the deposit of sound doctrine with his life. He he says, keep your eyes fixed on sound doctrine and don't swerve from it. Sound doctrine is the lifeblood of healthy Christians and a healthy church. Sound doctrine is the lifeblood of healthy Christians and a healthy church. Again, as I've already said, devotion to Christ in the church and in individual lives will only happen if there is first a foundation of sound doctrine. And my prayer is that as we together hear Paul's charge in this letter to Timothy, that we would renew our commitment to sound doctrine. Now, by God's grace, I believe we are, as a church, uh, a, a group that takes sound doctrine really seriously. And I praise God for that. But sound doctrine is too important for us to just assume that we'll stay orthodox. And false doctrine is too easy to slip into for us not to stay constantly vigilant when it comes to our teaching. Look at what Timothy says in 1 Timothy 4, 1. Or, excuse me, look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, 1. Now the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit of God, expressly says that in, la- in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And if you were in uh, Sunday school uh, this morning or our class on Wednesday, uh, you, you know that Paul says something very similar in 2 Timothy 4. Uh, the point is that in these last days, these days that we live in, God the Holy Spirit actually tells us to expect that people are going to abandon sound doctrine. God promises that's going to happen. And so it is incumbent upon us to know what we ought to believe, to know why we ought to believe it, and and not just for us to know that, but for us to preserve sound doctrine for the next generation. And, And furthermore, I pray that our study of 1 Timothy would help us renew our commitment to keep our focus on what the Bible prioritizes. 
again, what we see in 1 Timothy is that we need to look out not just for a heresy and not just for error, we also need to look out for distractions. One enemy of sound doctrine is that which contradicts sound doctrine, to be sure, but another enemy of sound doctrine is that which is outside of the realm of God's priorities. It can be tempting to become bored with biblical doctrine. The same old things that Christians have believed for 2,000 years, the same old teaching. Yeah, 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 Bible, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, salvation, worship, yada, 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 right? But, yeah, but, but that preacher over there, he sounds so fresh. Or he's talking in a way that I've never heard before. Or, uh, you know, this new school of thought over here, it's so interesting, it's so compelling, it, it resonates with me. I pray that our study of 1 Timothy would help us see the value in staying focused on the same truths the church has always been focused on. The truths that the church has been focused on since the time of Christ. The deposit of truth that we have in Scripture is the teaching that God knew every generation of Christians would need. Uh, There's an old African-American spiritual that says, Give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for me. It was good for our mothers, and it's good enough for me. It has saved our fathers, and it's good enough for me. It was tried in the fiery furnace, and it's good enough for me. It was good for Paul and Silas, and it's good enough for me. It will do when I am dying, and it's good enough for me. May this series help us renew our commitment to the old-time religion, what Jude 3 calls the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That's doctrine. Next, let's talk about devotion. For Paul, doctrine was inseparable from devotion. Paul was not interested in Timothy merely dotting his doctrinal I's and crossing his doctrinal T's. He wanted him to insist on sound doctrine because it leads to good behavior. And he wanted Timothy to rebuke bad behavior that does not align with sound doctrine. So to see what I mean about good behavior, flip back to 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5. Notice He gives the reason why he wants Timothy to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. He says the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul wanted sound doctrine to be protected because sound doctrine leads to love. Sound doctrine is the beginning, but it's not the end. Truth is the foundation that love is built on. Paul tells Timothy that godliness is so important, he needs to discipline himself in it. Flip over to 1 Timothy 4 and verses 7 and 8. Paul says, Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is a value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. 
living a life of devotion to God is so important, Paul said Timothy should train himself for godliness with more effort than he puts into his own bodily training. Uh, But Paul also addressed bad behavior in this letter. Paul understood, uh, as he did though, that ungodliness is not just arbitrary rule-breaking. Ungodliness is actually opposed to sound doctrine. So if you flip back to 1 Timothy 1, Paul has this list of a number of different sins. And I want you to see how he ends this list in verse 10. 1 Timothy 1.10. The sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Paul defined sin as behavior that is contrary to sound doctrine. Again, doctrine is inseparable from devotion. Right doctrine leads to right living. And the the inverse of that is also true because underneath wrong behavior is some sort of wrong belief. My prayer is that our study of 1 Timothy would lead us to see that doctrine and devotion are inseparable. You know, it's pretty common for a person to be inclined more toward either doctrine or more toward devotion. There are those who love information and study, and then there are those who are more just interested in the practical. But both kinds of people need to understand that doctrine and devotion are inseparable. If you think you have airtight orthodox theology, but you aren't living in sacrificial love, your theology is not as good as you think it is. But on the flip side, if you think that you can just live a faithful Christian life and kind of pay little attention to doctrine the life that you are living may not be as Christian as you think it is. Doctrine and devotion are inseparable from one another. And I also pray that we will see that devotion to Christ is not an optional elite level of Christianity, but devotion to Christ is actually the fruit of all genuine faith in Christ. Uh, There's a couple words that Paul uses all over 1 Timothy. One of them is the word godliness. It's the idea of living a life of reverence before God or a life of devotion to God. Another word Paul uses to describe Christians is the word faithful. Those who are faithful or sometimes it's translated believers. But when he says believers, he, he doesn't just mean Uh, those who affirm truth, it it means being dedicated to God, faithful to God. And my fear is that there are many in in our community at large, and, and perhaps even some in this congregation today, who believe that they're Christians, but don't understand true biblical faith. Maybe there was a moment when they affirmed or agreed with the fact that Jesus is real, they they affirmed that he died for them, and maybe they even affirmed that they want forgiveness of sin, but then after they made that one-time affirmation, 
They just went on living the same life that they had been living before, unchanged by Jesus. But that is not a biblical definition of what a believer in Jesus Christ is. The Bible has no category for someone who has genuine faith in Jesus, yet is not transformed by Jesus. Maybe, again, maybe you're here today and you've been procrastinating when it comes to devoting your life to Jesus. You think, well, you know, I, I prayed that prayer that one time, or, I, you know, I got baptized, and so, you know, I'm covered, but, you know, I, I know I need to get around to really becoming a serious disciple of Jesus one of these days. You just need to understand that an affirmation that does not lead to dedication to Jesus is not biblical salvation. An affirmation that does not result in dedication is not salvation. True faith in Christ always results in faithfulness to Christ. And what I want you to know and see is that if that's you, Jesus isn't trying to slap you on the wrist this morning. Jesus is trying to invite you to something better than that conception of Christianity. Jesus wants to offer you something better than just merely forgiveness and an unchanged life. He wants to transform your life. He wants to invite you into the flourishing that comes from living a life devoted to him. So wherever we are on this discipleship journey, I pray that our study of 1 Timothy would help all of us grow in our devotion to Jesus. Whether you need to devote your life to Jesus for the first time, or you need to grow in your devotion to Jesus. All right, so that was devotion. Next, let's talk about the church. Paul was interested in doctrine and devotion, first and foremost, within the realm of the local church. Paul wrote with a specific concern for the church in Ephesus, uh, the church that Timothy was stationed at. And uh, he wrote with a concern for the teaching that happened among the congregation and for how that church lived out their life together as a community of faith. Uh, Paul gives a lot of attention to the leaders within the local church. Uh, For example, in chapter 3, he gives these long lists of qualifications both for elders and for deacons. In 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 2, he says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Just in those verses, you can see his concern for both doctrine and devotion in the life of a pastor. To be qualified to be a pastor, a man must be able to teach. Doctrine is important. But to be qualified, he also must demonstrate devotion to Christ through proven character. Uh, Paul also gives detailed instructions about how a congregation ought to relate to their leaders, specifically their elders. For example, if an elder is suspected of sin, Paul says this in 1 Timothy 5, uh, verses 19 and 20. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all 
so that the rest may stand in fear. So the office of elder is so important that on the one hand, you should not believe an accusation against an elder without plenty of evidence. But on the other hand, if an elder is in unrepentant sin, he ought to be rebuked publicly as an example to the congregation. Uh, But Paul was not just concerned about doctrine and devotion for the leaders of a local church. He addressed the whole congregation. Uh, If you look at 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, he writes this. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Paul wanted Timothy to understand that the whole congregation was responsible for upholding the truth of the gospel, and he was interested in how the whole household behaved. Uh, Paul even gave instructions about corporate worship. If you look at chapter 2, uh, in 1 Timothy 2.1, he says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And in 1 Timothy 2.8, he says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Paul wanted the church in Ephesus to gather to pray together. And my prayer is that this study through 1 Timothy would help us grow in strength and health as a local church. I pray that Paul's instructions about corporate prayer would move us to be more faithful in our prayer together. And we have the opportunity in the coming days not only to learn this by hearing his instructions, we have the opportunity to learn by applying his instructions as we begin our new prayer service together. And I promise you, we are going to learn far more about prayer by living these instructions out than we ever could by simply receiving this information in a sermon. As we look at the qualifications and responsibilities of elders, I pray that those of us who serve as elders uh, would take this opportunity to grow in faithfulness in how we carry out our ministry. Uh, I pray the Lord would do a work in our hearts to help us grow in our character. But even for our congregation as a whole, I, I pray that God would instruct us and prepare us as we consider what men in our congregation may serve in elders, as elders in the future. As we look at uh, Paul's teachings on deacons, I pray that our church would grow even more biblical in how we uh, carry out deacon ministry within our church. I pray that we would grow more biblical in our understanding of what the Bible teaches about the office of deacon. And I pray that our deacons would grow in terms of both character and service within the life of our church. Um, As we hear Paul's instructions about giving to widows, I pray that it would help us grow more faithful in how we meet one another's practical needs as a church. Uh, May we think more biblically about the practical details of what it looks like to be not just generous, but to be rightly and wisely generous. In in all of this, I, I pray that we would grow in doctrine and devotion together as a church. But finally, let's consider the individual Christian. The individual Christian. 
While Paul spends much time in this letter discussing doctrine and devotion within the context of the local church, he also gives instruction for individual Christians. Now, one individual Christian that he gives a lot of attention to is Timothy himself. So, for example, look at 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 19. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of the faith. Paul is interested in Timothy's calling and in how he carries out the ministry that God gave him. Uh, Paul wanted Timothy to understand that his personal walk with the Lord didn't just impact him. Uh, look at 1 Timothy four sixteen. He tells Timothy this, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, or we could say on your devotion and on your doctrine. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Timothy's personal commitment to doctrine and devotion had a direct impact on those he ministered to. Uh, Paul, in this letter, is even concerned about Timothy's health. Look at 1 Timothy 5, 23. Paul tells Timothy, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. We'll get into all that later on this year when we get to 1 Timothy 5, but what I want us to see for today is that Paul was invested in helping Timothy live a life of devotion to Christ, not just with his soul, but even with his body as well. And uh, as we look at what Paul tells Timothy, we'll be able to glean a lot uh, from those instructions. But Paul didn't just write about the individual Timothy. He also wrote about the individual Christian life in general. Uh, Look at 1 Timothy 2 and verse 2. Paul says he wants the church to pray for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul's hope for individual Christians was that they would be free to live lives of devotion to Christ, not just within the local church, but out in society even. Uh, Paul also, in this letter, addresses several different specific life situations, several different categories of individual Christians. If you flip to 1 Timothy chapter 5, in verse 8, he addresses Christians who have relatives with financial needs. He says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In 1 Timothy 5.14, he addresses young widows. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. In 1 Timothy 6.1, he addresses bondservants. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. And in 1 Timothy 6.17, He addresses the rich. As for the rich in this present age, charge charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So Paul wanted the members of the church in Ephesus 
to reflect the truth of the gospel, not just in their life together as a church, but in how they carried out the, every aspect of their day-to-day life, in no matter what their specific, unique life situation might have been. And I pray that this study of 1 Timothy would be edifying for you and me in our individual Christian lives, our personal walk with the Lord. I pray that you would grow in your love for your family. I pray that you would grow in your own personal prayer life. I pray that you would grow in your commitment to knowing sound doctrine for yourself. I pray that you would grow in how you live your life as a Christian out in the world. Uh, What I hope that you see is that while the faith once for all delivered to the saints has not changed in 2,000 years, this unchanging truth is relevant to our day and age. And it's applicable to every specific life situation. The Bible may not give us comprehensive information about every aspect of life, but the truth that God has given us in the Bible is sufficient to address every aspect of life and every life situation. The Bible applies to our life as citizens within human society. The Bible applies to how we handle our finances. The Bible applies to how we manage our health. The Bible applies to the inner workings of families and relationships. God has spoken in his word, not just to the religious segment of our lives. God has spoken what we need to know to live devoted to Christ in every segment of our lives. Doctrine and devotion are not just confined to the local church, but are for the whole of the individual Christian life. Doctrine, devotion, the church, and the Christian. Now, today, we have only scratched the surface of what can be gleaned from 1 Timothy. Uh, We're going to spend many uh, weeks and months ahead uh, mining the gold out of what Paul has written in 1 Timothy. But I pray that this brief overview this morning has given you at least a, a small taste of what this letter is all about. And I pray that you have seen why this is going to be such an important book for us to study together as a church. Sound doctrine matters. Living in devotion to Christ matters. These things matter for us as a local church, and they matter for us as individual Christians. So may we be a church and be individuals who uphold the truth and live lives of devotion to Christ as a result. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the deposit of sound doctrine that you have entrusted to your church. I pray that we would devote ourselves to right teaching, and that that teaching, that doctrine would overflow into lives of devotion to Christ. Lord, that we would know the delight and the flourishing that comes from following Jesus and being dedicated to him. Lord, I I pray that we as a church would be 
more faithful in doctrine and devotion, that, that, that our, our, our commitment to teaching, our commitment to uh, the, the truth of your word would, would grow stronger and deeper and more long-lasting. And, and Lord, I, I pray that we would practically carry out what behavior you would have us uh, practice in the household, your household. Uh, and, and Lord, I, I pray that that would extend not just within the bounds of our community here as a local church, but I pray for every individual member of this church that as we live our lives out in uh, the community, as, as we carry out our lives in our homes and in our jobs and in our schools, and uh, Lord, I pray that we would see the importance and value of doctrine and devotion in every aspect of our lives. Lord, I pray that this series that we're embarking on would be used of you to do a great work in our minds and our hearts. Um, and uh, Lord, that we would be more faithful as disciples of Jesus because of our study of First Timothy. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. And